Hello and welcome to the Digital Construction Skills Podcast. My name is Chris Grant, Partnerships Manager at Digital Construction Skills, and coming up, you'll be hearing the fourth in our series of Ask the Panel on Setting Out and Surveying. This week we're talking all things digital tools and underground services. It has been our pleasure to bring to you some fantastic guests in this series, and this week is no exception. On this podcast, you will be hearing from Andy Dodman, Head of Health and Safety at Tier 1 Contractor Barhale, Richard Broom, Managing Director at Line Search Before You Dig, Pete Ashcroft, Utility Detection Expert and Director of Sigma Solutions and Leading Provider of Underground Utility Location and Avoidance Training, Phil Diathakis, Reality Capture and Survey Equipment Specialist and Director of Scotia Survey and Safety. Bobby Archer, Section Engineer and Underground Services Coordinator, also at Barhill Construction. The Q&A was hosted by Saffron Grant, Director of Setting Out for Construction. Saffron's also Managing Director of Digital Construction Skills and author of the book, Setting Out for Construction, A Practical Guide to Site Surveying. This event is brought to you thanks to funding from the CITB Digital Transformation Through Leaders Project. For more information, you can visit www.digitalconstructionskills.com or email me, chris at digitalconstructionskills.com. As usual, we'll just start by um, getting straight into the questions. Um, We're going to start with... Um, Pete Ashcroft. So Pete, you're one of the country's foremost utilities detection experts and director of Sigma Solutions. So you deliver a comprehensive buried utility location programme for operatives who need to boost their confidence and skills through Jenny and Cat training. So we're going to ask you your main question later on in the discussion, but for now, could you just briefly like set the scene for us? Could you give us, you know, put underground utilities in the context of surveying and setting out and then maybe just give us an overall picture of what the wider issues are? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, thanks for inviting me on um, the panel. Um, ju- just quickly, my, my background, I guess, is starting my career in utility detection with um, radio detection who manufacture the um, Jenny and Cat equipment and EM equipment back when I was 20. So I've seen quite a lot of advances over the years with, with equipment mainly and also been more involved in the utility mapping side of it. And as you say, we're, we're a training provider. I think as an intro to the, the, to the session, I think it's worth pointing out and I think it's useful to understand that I, I see underground utility mapping and detection in two main sections, really, in, in the UK. Um, and I, I personally refer to one as the surveyors or the utility mapping surveyors segment and the other as what I call the excavators, that the people on the ground that are actually excavating um, on top of on top of buried utilities. And I think that distinction is important because it's also what makes us slightly different in the UK to some other um, countries out there, America, for example, and Australia and things. So I think it is important um, that we understand that distinction between those two segments. The, the surveyors um, side of it are the ones who typically come to site during the planning phase. So they're usually working to PAS 128, which is the British standard now on, on utility uh, mapping surveys. Um, and the results that they get from utility survey are digitally captured and this is in the form of a, of, a, of a utility mapping drawing. They use existing information provided by utility companies, so what we call stats plans, um, existing information, but they also combine that with a minimum of two ge- geophysical techniques. So you'll hear me talking about EM locators, which is electromagnetic locators, so most people would refer to that as um, Jenny and Cat type equipment, although there are higher level types of EM locators, and also GPR, which is ground penetrating radar. So the surveyors will combine those technologies uh, with existing information and they will map out the utilities on the site. They'll typically map them on the ground, but what they'll also do is they'll they'll digitally capture that information through GPS and other surveying methods. They'll often post-process um, GPR data that they gather on site, and all that is, is, is put together and produced as a utility mapping drawing, if you like. That's the output. 
it, it's normally done from um, a planning um, design point of view for maybe rerouting services, design. It's not, I would say, always done as a safety aspect. There is a safety element in there, but this is more at the pre-stage where we're trying to design and look where the best place to put things or reroute things is. We then have what I've referred to before as the excavators. Um, these are the operators on the ground who are digging there and then. Um, so typically they might be a utility contractor who are replacing water mains or gas mains. They're replacing the old infrastructure with new. They're working um, in streets and on sites um, and they're um, actually excavating there and then. They're, to me, a, a very different segment because, number one, the majority don't use GPR. They're restricted to just EM-type equipment, which is, as we said, the Jenny and Cat-type equipment. Um, and that's where the safety element comes in. For, for these operators out there, they're using this equipment from a safety point of view primarily. It's to protect from injury. If they, they want to find a cable, mark it on the ground so they can avoid it as they're excavating there and then on that specific project. The results are sprayed on the ground, but they're not captured most of the time. There's, there's, there's no output, if you like. It's just there for live information to ensure they don't strike it. Um, and it's and as I said it's it's more to do with safety disruption yes and there is a cost element to it so I think it's it might be useful for people to understand those two differences as we talk about the next few segments and how digital tools have integrated into both because they are they are slightly different I think as we as we go through which um, I'm sure you'll find out as we go through does that answer the question okay I'll come back to the training side maybe maybe later I guess when it comes back to me. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, Pete. That does that is really helpful in setting the scene actually for, for the rest of this conversation. So thanks for that. So I'll talk to, to Richard Broom now. So Richard Broom is the managing director of LS Bud, which is line search before you dig service in Great Britain, and helping to protect over 90 asset owners networks by managing over three million third-party inquiries per annum. So Richard um, leads the data and reporting group of the Utility Strike Avoidance Group, who produce the annual Utility Strike Report and raise awareness of utility strikes across the UK. So, so Richard, so you're, you're managing director of a fantastic tool called Line Search Before You Dig. Can you explain what this tool does? Yeah, th thanks very much, um, first of all, for having me, and um, I'll, I'll try and answer as best I can. Uh, so effectively, to keep it simple, it helps anyone putting a spade in the ground find out where any of those 90 asset owners' networks are, and they extend to over a million kilometres of network. Um, so we, we give them access to share all those 90 members' information in, in a single online search. And who is it useful for, and who are the main users? Um, so, as you might expect, predominantly utilities and their contracts, um, their contractors, but also includes a, a really wide range of users, and it surprises us every day. Um, there's local authorities, surveyors, forestry workers, um, but we've seen recently a really increasing number of um, agricultural and domestic users as that sort of safe digging message is getting out to more and more people. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the need to to check before they start work. Brilliant. And so, so what are the main benefits of using the tool then to, to all the stakeholders? Well, first of all, it's free of charge. Um, so that's always a, a nice start. Um, it's, a, it's a very quick search. Uh, it's available 24-7. Uh, but really, it's, it's the, the main key bit is it gets people the information they need. Um, and, and sometimes they don't know they need it. So I think it's very easy for those of us in the industry to, to, to know of the different assets that might be buried under the ground. But there are a lot of people that don't know that. And so we look after, for example, the high pressure fuel pipeline networks that supply airports and terminals and, and you know, before they get in the tanker. A lot of people don't even know those things exist. So our, our, our position is to make sure people get that information in a very easy, uh, non-restricted way. And it's it's really seen as the first step to strike avoidance. As Pete said, there's there's lots of really good things being done across the industry, um, but it's a really important foundation to that. So um, and and lastly, it's fully online. Um, and it's interesting. Pete mentions about in the US and, and Australia. Well, in the US, they 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 they've come from a, um, a a call before you dig, a dar before you dig mentality, and getting people online has been a real challenge for them. So the fact that we've got 100 percent. Is something that's envied across the world of that sort of digital platform um, delivering for all. 
That's brilliant. So could you give us a specific example of how a tool like this might enable collaboration and new ways of working? Well, I think um, looking at collaboration is, it, you know, looking at the definition of people working together to achieve a, a, a better aim, uh, a better sort of objective. If you look at, um, well, we, we, we look at the, the numbers of inquiries and where they're taking place on a daily, monthly and annual basis. And so we took, we took an area called uh, in the south southeast. We looked at Kent as an example because it was an area probably four years ago that we we weren't that we didn't have much coverage in. So we had about 20, 20 odd members with assets in the county of Kent, and our traditional members were transmission networks. So there might have been things like the fuel pipelines that people weren't aware of, or they wouldn't have necessarily thought to check before they started work. So looking at the numbers we had there, and this just proves the the, the benefits of working together. Um, we, we were handling about 6,000 inquiries every quarter. So that's 6,000 inquiries from those contractors, utilities, um, authorities and the like, 6,000 a quarter. That had risen to about 8,000 in 2017. Um, so that was, we were roughly plateauing a little bit. But SGN, who are the gas distribution network operator in the southeast, they joined in April 2017 and we saw an immediate jump to 11,000. So we've gone from 6,000 in 2016 to 11,000 in April, May 2017, that's that uh, quarter two. And then UK Power Networks then joined in August 17, so the third quarter, and that went up to 18,000. And and now we're dealing with 25,000 every quarter. So we've gone from, you know, a very established system you know, that's been around for uh, almost two decades back then, um, that was getting 6,000 every quarter to 25,000. And, and, and the beneficiaries of that are not just the asset owners who get more people seeing their seeing the network, but every user gets more information every time they search. So a real win-win for all. Wow. So, so what's the, been the, the most significant benefit to the asset owners who use the the LS Bud tool? Um, well, a, a strike avoidance is, is 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 the key thing. You know, it's, it's making people aware of what they need, even when they don't know they need it. Um, it's although it's the most important thing, it's the hardest thing to link because. It, it's sort of common sense that you you say that the, the more people that are aware of an asset in the ground before they start work, the less likely it is they're going to hit it. But actually piecing that together throughout the journey is really hard. So we've been really pleased that we've recent, seen recently the Ofgem um, stakeholder engagement summary from one of our members citing LSBUD as a cause of, of a reduction in strikes that they'd seen. So strike avoidance and damage prevention is the key bit. Um, but the more, but but more more difficult to to prove. The things that are much easier to prove are things like customer service, because you can you can see that people are taking less than a minute to get ninety responses back. Well, if that was five minutes each, it would take, or even three minutes for for, for ninety members. Um, you know, that's two hundred and seventy minutes of search that we're saving people every time they search, and we do that three million times a year. So the customer service is very easy to measure. Um, the internal team efficiency of that member, of that asset owner, the people receiving the requests from people, we've seen that, that, that re really, really good ways of, of people um, maximizing their skills. So they're, they're going from uh, plan provision, so i.e. finding a plan and sending it out to people, to plant protection. So they're able to then advise people how to work safely. So really, really making them help people, um, allowing them to help people a lot more effectively. Um, but finally, the um, the regulatory targets are something that, that are a key driver for utility companies. Uh, so we've seen things like measures of experience for their customers and developers around their networks, but also key areas such as leakage targets for the, for example, in the water industry is is is, is a, a key driver to to make sure that people don't strike their net network and um, and, and and lose water. Uh, obviously, looking after fuel pipelines, it's a very very clear. A clear driver not to lose any petrol or, or oil from their networks and make sure it goes from A to B safely. Wow, that's really interesting. So, so what are the barriers you face then with other asset owners? You know who haven't yet signed up. Like, why haven't they? Yeah, it's a good question. One we ask ourselves um, often. Um, we're very happy that we've got the majority now of the electricity and gas networks, um, and th that's been a real, real drive over the last three or four years, and a, a big change we've seen there. Um, and pretty much 100% of the oil oil networks, which is great. But those areas such as water and telecoms, where we haven't seen quite as strong a growth or, or quite a bigger coverage, um, it's normally where it's very difficult to link the benefits together. 
So you might have a part of the business that deals with third-party inquiries that isn't then linked to the customer service or measured on the customer service or isn't measured on how they've reduced their strikes. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing that I, I've got a, a particular bugbear at the industry is about damage reporting. And that's you know, our, our, our role in USAG about reporting damages. You know, our, our view and my, my view in particular is that what gets measured gets managed, um, uh, to, to quote a Peter Drucker um, quote. But if we don't know what, what people are doing, if we don't know why they're causing the strikes, how can we improve? And, and that's one of the big things that we're trying to um, to influence through USAG and, and, and the good work that USAG does. Brilliant. So, so do you have more asset owners on the horizon waiting to sign up then? Uh, yep. The, our, our, our developers and um, technical team have are, 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 got a long list of people at the moment, which, be, is, which has been fab. We've been, we've been exceptionally fortunate during um, the pandemic that, that people have wanted to to protect their assets more more than ever as you you know it's, it's it's not hard to see that having a remote access into their plant protection system has been a real benefit there's an infrastructure boom on the horizon it's it's an area that people are, or asset owners are, are more and more um, interested in and, and not only that in the, in the first lockdown we had about a 25 percent reduction but since then in during 2020 we broke every record daily monthly and annual inquiries so the volumes of work going on out there are higher than ever that are going through Ellisbud. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very busy time for us. That's amazing. So could you briefly tell us what the Digging Up Britain report is? Yeah, it's, um, it's something we, we've, we've had this data for so long and, and uh, we, so many people, as you say, you know, three million people, uh, three million inquiries every year. Um, which, which roughly equates to about 13,000 on a, a working day, and we just wanted to use that as best we could because it's great that those people are connected with those asset owners every time they search. But what can we use? Uh, how can we use that information? And so we worked with a, a with an agency to 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 to, de to get a different perspective on it. And so we've been able to look at you know why people are doing it, where those searches are coming from what sort of trends we've seen over the last three years. So we're coming into our third year of doing it now. So it's really interesting to see how things have changed. We've looked at things on an authority basis um, and a sector basis, because for us, the, the, the search that they do is the first step in many people's processes. So it's a really good indicator to foresee future works. And it's, a, it's an area that we'll keep on, we'll keep on uh, improving and hopefully finding, giving value to people to see um, where, those, where those trends are coming from. Brilliant. So would you mind putting in, is there a link to that report that you could put in the comments, um, Richard? Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll grab that for you now. That'd be brilliant. We can we can share and um, spread that. Um, Richard, could you give us some examples of asset owners? And could you also just just um, explain, is, is does this tool replace the old-fashioned way? When I was used to work in a design office, and we were doing planning or, you know, preparation, we'd have to write off to all the different asset owners in that area and wait six to eight weeks to get something back again. Is this, is this just, does this help to, to just shorten that time scale? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so some of the examples of our asset owners, so we've had a really good variety in the, in the last year or so. Um, so we've had fiber companies joining sort of up and coming, up and coming fiber companies that have got maybe a limited amount in the ground at the moment, but they're growing and growing. And, Obviously, is, uh, uh, with people so reliant on telecoms networks, um, they're, they're, they're so they're, they're so paranoid that those things are get, get are going to get hit by third parties. That keeping that service up is 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 absolutely fundamental for them. In the same way as as the more potentially obvious ones, such as the high pressure gas, you know, high voltage electricity, and and, and high pressure fuel mains. Um, so a really broad spectrum of utility companies. Um, and in terms of the writing off to different companies, we've got some great case studies of, of some of the really quite big companies that used to take 15 days to reply to people and switch on overnight. And they're responding to people within four days, but not just that, but they're able to go from 20, 15 days to four, sorry, to four minutes. Um, so 15 days to four minutes and about 20 times as many people as, as, as they had before. Um, and and that, I mean that varies depending. So we've had bigger, we've had we've had um, fewer, but it, it's a massive amount because because of that collaborative um, approach. People search with us more than they search with anyone else in the country, 
Um, you know, and so when you go to individual companies, the, the differences are stark. Um, so it's, um, it's, a, it's an amazing power of people working together. Yeah, that that's amazing. That's mind blowing. Um, and that just you know, does everybody everybody need to know about this? Basically, <laughs> hopefully well, they will after this. <laughs> our job will be done then, Saffron. Yeah. Um, so, yeah that's, uh, but 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 uh, you know, one of the, the the things that we're trying to do this year is trying to get to those people in, in working in their gardens, for example, because okay, you know, there are it, we always have to keep on you know that we're getting about 100 registrations every day we know people in utilities and contractors change so you think you've got got something sorted and then a team will change over six months and the, the picture might look a bit different um but there's so many people out there that might put a spade in the ground that, that the job will never be done and, and we've just got to keep reinventing and, and educating people on, on how to work safely so um, yeah that's planning. brilliant <laughs> thanks very much indeed for that richard no so we'll speak to Andy Dodman now. So, so Andy Dodman is the head of health and safety at, at Barhill Construction, one of the largest privately owned civil engineering and infrastructure specialists. So Barhill Bar are a tier one contractor across the water, transport, built environment and energy sectors. Now, we've heard a little bit about the line search before you dig tool from Richard. So, Andy, perhaps you can tell us about how Bar Hale are leading the way with adopting digital tools, and more generally, in the underground utilities area, what digital tools have you adopted? What are the key benefits? You know, does it allow you to plan and manage work in a different way? And does anything, you know, what becomes possible now as a result? And, for, you know, what are the key learning points from you on this adoption journey? And what has the feedback been from site teams on the ground? And finally, you know, what about other clients and stakeholders? Okay, uh, thank you, Saffron. Um, in terms of uh, use of digital tools, we've uh, obviously excavating around underground services is one of our sort of primary uh, risk areas as a business. Um, and probably aligned to sort of our approach around being a bit more proactive and using digital technology uh, to its to benefit uh, our sort of general monitoring and remote monitoring. Um, we've actually we decided to um, transfer our existing uh, Cat Four fleet to the G Cat Four, which enables us to. Um, uh, sort of monitor data from, from, from this sort of technology to the cloud and then able to sort of monitor that sort of um, technology sort of remotely in terms of how the equipment is sort of being used in the field, which we, we've sort of found to be of a real benefit. So it's really the transition of the old CAT fleet to the GCAT4 and then utilising that sort of digital data to our sort of benefit, really. Um, I suppose in terms of the key benefits uh, for our organisation since we've made that that move, um, it sort of provides us with sort of real-time um, use of the equipment in the field, um, which we didn't have previously, and we're able to sort of determine how well the equipment's being used um, in all of the various sort of modes, so avoidance, power, jenny, radio modes um, by our um, service coordinators and also by our sort of black cat gangers um, who sort of lead each of our sort of digging gangs. Um, it's also provided us with a duration of how long the equipment's used in each of the various modes as well, um, which we're able to sort of in, um, develop into a sort of dashboard, a red, amber, green sort of dashboard. Um, it also allows us to sort of look at uh, using our assessors in the field so to have more coaching sessions with, with the gangers in the field. So areas where potentially we feel they could improve some of their skill sets, which we're seeing from the data that we receive, we're able to then take that back out into the field and have more one-to-one -one focused um, sessions with the gangers, you know, in areas that they potentially could improve. And I think we've sort of found that sort of helps to uh, develop the skill sets in terms of the use of the equipment in the field and um, and also enhances the training, the formal training that 
uh, our guys get initially, sort of probably every sort of on a three-year basis. Um, so it keeps some of the, the the knowledge and the skill sets sort of in the um, you know sort of w- with the guys on a more regular sort of basis, really. Um, and really, so in terms of sort of being able to interpret the data data as well and i'll come on to that in a little bit in terms of the way we've sort of managed that um but i think overall it sort of gives us the sort of peace of mind that the the people that we train to use this equipment that we can actually see how it's being used through through the digital data and then identify areas that we can um focus on some more upskilling really so that's been a real benefit for us um you know going forward since we've introduced this technology in terms of how it enables us to plan and manage our work in a different way, probably less so on the planning side of things, but in terms of managing, um, it enables us to sort of provide some greater focus um, on assessment and coaching um, in the field, as I've mentioned earlier. Um, it also sort of enables us to identify where coaching on a one-to-one basis is needed Um and that helps to supplement the formal training that the guys are uh, provided. Um, and it also probably helps our guys to sort of um, perfect their skills and sort of identify some areas that they probably could in, improve their sort of skill sets and knowledge and use of the Jenny with, along with the, the cat itself. Um, and so provides our end users, our gangers, our service coordinators with a lot more confidence in using the equipment. We can all go on a formal training course um, and some of those skill sets can be quite easily lost, um, whereas it enables um, the end users to sort of perfect their skills in the field. And um, we've found the, the assessments in the field have been really useful, so we can actually deliver some coaching um you know in the working environment which i think really adds a lot of sort of gravity in terms of understanding and that in in their own sort of environment rather than in a sort of classroom type um environment as well um and we're sort of looking to sort of link some of the uh permits to break ground with the sort of technology as well um so that we can sort of close the loop on that that particular section in terms of some of the key learning points, I suppose with the use of the radio detection cat manager and, uh, and all of the data, there's lots and lots of data. Um, we've tried to sort of simplify the sort of the reporting output. So probably one of the challenges for us has been to develop a, a dashboard where you can actually um, uh, send the sort of the, the data and manage the data, if you like, into a sort of fairly simplistic red amber green type dashboard so that we can encourage our supervisors and our managers to sort of interpret the the data themselves as well and make best use of that data um with some of their um you know sort of their operational gangs really um so probably one of the real sort of challenges for us has been to sort of uh, develop a dashboard and, and we're really probably we've got an excel spreadsheet our dashboard at the moment we are now in the process of sort of converting that to a power bi uh format dashboard which we will see will, will give greater sort of visibility and uh, not only to the site team the direct site team but also the contracts managers who, who might not necessarily be based on site just to get an overall overview of uh, all of the sort of the digging gangs and how they're performing at the uh, at the sharp end in terms of sort of feedback from the site team, it's been really positive. We were quite conscious that when we developed this, it could sort of be seen as a bit of a big brother type scenario where uh, we were checking the use of the equipment remotely and whether there would be any retribution if the equipment wasn't being used that effectively. That's not really what we've introduced this technology for. It's more to sort of really increase uh, the skill sets provide greater focus or coaching to the to the guys um actually digging the holes um which i think they've appreciated um as i said earlier you can go on a formal training course but some of the skill sets that you develop on that training course may quite easily be lost so i think the use of the cat and jenny is all about sort of developing your your skills 
and learning from some of the areas that you might be a little bit weak on as well to sort of perform and use the equipment properly. So I think our our digging gangs have really appreciated that sort of level of focus and support rather than it be seen as a sort of big stick type scenario. We're, we're using it more in the coaching vein um, rather than, 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 than anything else, really. And I think it also protects our gangs as well. So if, if there was, unfortunately, a server strike, then we can obviously, we use the data um, from, from the equipment as well and we're able to sort of understand, well, actually, this guy's used the equipment diligently um, and it's been an unfortunate incident that, um, you know, uh, they've made contact with an underground service. So it, it, it also identifies, uh, you know, how the gangs are actually using the equipment and sort of protects them to a certain degree in terms of their proactive use, you know, sort of, of the equipment. Um, in terms of clients, uh, the clients that we work for, we operate primarily in the, in the water sector um, They've been very supportive. Uh, I think some of the uh, we're not the only company um, using this sort of data, the the GCAT for um, cloud-based data. Um, so they've been very sort of um, supportive, and they want to level a sort of consistency across all of their delivery partners. Um, so it's you know it's been quite useful to have their support really and they can sort of see that actually this is the the way forward in terms of um using digital technology um beneficially you know in terms of sort of that remote monitoring um so yeah it's been been quite a journey but uh, and we're not fully there yet but um for sure um i think it's had a major impact in our business and Looking at sort of bottom line stats, with with if we look at our service damages 2019 compared to 2020, we since we've introduced this this monitoring, we've seen a probably a 35 percent reduction in our underground utility strikes, which obviously is very pleasing. We can always aim we're aiming for zero, obviously, but um, certainly it's uh, it's made a quite a, a big impact in reducing our service damages. Wow, that's brilliant. So that's lots of lots of best practice and good practice that you've shared there, um, Andy. And thanks for doing that because hopefully it'll you know educate and inspire like other companies who might be right at the beginning of that journey to say right, okay, if you can get a thirty five percent reduction in cable strikes by doing X, Y, and Z. Let's find out what X, Y, and Z is and do it. So that you know that that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Um, so, so right, Philippos then, we'll move on to Philippos. Philippos Diathakis of Scotia Survey and Safety. So you're a surveying and reality capture specialist. And you can, so can you describe to us the more, how the more traditional tools like Jenny and Cat detection equipment, ground penetrating radar or GPR, how are they evolving and, and why this is important? And can you tell us about how, you know, reality capture technology has the potential to have a significant impact in the mapping, planning and implementation of the work? And, you know, what becomes possible when it's combined with all, with all the digital tools we've, we've just heard about in, earlier in this session? Hello, Sarvan. Thanks for that. And hello, everybody. Uh, it's uh, the key thing about these technologies is that they have evolved in a way that allows now uh, to be used uh, more frequently and by more uh, by many more people as uh, uh, we've seen from the other panelists that uh, training is available widely and people can get trained on uh, using it and that shows the fact that the numbers that we heard so far shows that people are using it and it shows that it is easier and in order what has improved a lot is that now utility detection avoidance and generally uh, geophysical surveys that then identify what is underground um have um, were being used in a way that made things uh, were used primarily with a team of 
paint where you marked that's how it was being used how it's being used and how it will be used where you with a tin of paint would you mark on the ground where the utility where some finding was there and it's there but the benefit of new technologies like laser scanning combining the technologies uh, as it was mentioned the um, cable avoidance tools the ground penetrating radars can now be combined with traditional surveying tools um gnss receiver GNSS sensors a an optical instrument that will align the measurements to exactly the location where they were surveyed and that makes things a lot more visual and makes things a lot more accurate because now it's not just a marking on the ground everything is properly surveyed it is placed in the real world exactly where it's supposed to be so the digital uh, result of the survey the underground survey is now manageable and it can be overlaid on existing drawings it can be combined with um, reality capture data aerial mapping drone mapping information and create a more visual approach the main thing about that is that you can use now that technology, as you mentioned, using AR, uh, which AR is being improved. I know about four or five years ago, there was a jump, but companies are now starting to make the most of it with um, improvements in HoloLens, Google uh, Glass, or uh, even mobile phones where you can use AR apps to um, prepare uh, all sorts of applications were now uh, not only drawings so having uh, drawings in a printed format or even in an ipad or another uh, mean on site is possible but now you can physically look around and you can see after the data has been processed what lies beneath so you see underground you see uh, in architecture in um, uh, you can pretty much simulate the construction on site and pretty much start trialing any engineering any architectural designs by being on site knowing what is underground and then applying these technologies to avoid areas and this gets uh, following to um, one of the previous workshops on machine control for example being able to prepare avoidance zones on um, a, a machine control excavator then even if the markings on the ground if the the flags on the ground or anything that we put that identifies that there is a gas main there that we do not want to dig even if the operator decides to start uh, digging in a place where something was off the machines now can be con programmed so they will start flashing like crazy that do not dig here some of them even have a um, control that will literally block the, the digger from going there so the amount of mistakes errors or the the visual aspect of having the the actual result of the survey the the detection the the search for these utilities becomes now a usable tool on site and just the fact that you have it more visual makes it so much more accessible looking through drawings can take hours can take a lot of time and there is still a risk of uh, misinterpretation whereas if the data is there and you know that under that building on that location there is that utility detected then it makes it easier for people to understand do not dig here there is something there or you know at what depth it is and generally combining all these technologies that were mentioned from electromagnetic seismic technologies um, radar technologies that have improved so much in giving us detailed information on what is underground then combining that with what is overground just makes things a lot a lot more usable that's brilliant phil so 
you know, it sounds like in the, if it's done in the right way, these digital tools can, because I think some people might worry that if you were dependent on that rather than, you know, the kind of traditional way of looking, some people might say, you, you know, you, 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 there's more chance for error, but it sounds like you can add lots of different layers of protection if it does it, does it if you do it in the right way. Um, so, and I'll just also mention as well that if anybody watching or listening needs any help or advice with anything like this, you know, you can get in touch with Phil and he he's there to, to help you out with that. Um, so brilliant. That's great. Thanks very much for that, Phil. Yeah. So we'll come back to Pete now. So, um, hello. Hello. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Pete. Right. With all the new digital tools on the market, you know, what now becomes possible for you in the delivery of training, not just in the delivery of training, but for the wider industry? And just does the industry need to rethink about how we coach, train and educate operatives, managers and asset owners? And how might we do this? And what impact might this have in how we plan and implement utilities work? It, it, there's been such good panelists on today and I was I was hoping this would happen where everything kind of links in so I'm going to kind of comment on what people have said because I think it's all relevant especially when it when it comes to training um but when we talked about um the um the, the data download from from the from the cats as well and it might just be worth just at this stage, for anybody listening that might not be familiar with that, going right back to basics. So what the what the what the data download now allows us to do is actually connect to a cat, if you like, via Bluetooth or a cable and look at how often it's been used, how long for, in what mode, et cetera, et cetera. We can get a lot of information from it. So linking that back into training, one of my biggest bugbears in training has been for years is refresher periods on the training certificate. So typically what happens in this industry is that we have a person come along for a one-day Jenny and Cat course. He's competent on the day. He gets his ticket, and we don't see him again for three years. What happens in between that gap? And it's something I've always had massive concerns with. We all have different abilities. We all use kit um, in, in different ways. Some people use it more often than others. How do we monitor that? Uh, and and one, one kind of comparison that I've just gone through recently, as you know, Safran, I've just recently moved to Lanzarote. I'm, I'm living in Spain now. And in January, I did a four-week intensive Spanish course every morning. And everyone said to me during that course, if you don't speak it, you'll lose it. And during that four weeks, I was doing it every day, and I was getting good at it and speaking to people and everything else. And it ended at the end of January. And I've not done it since. So we're at the end of February now. I've been busy with work and things. And I've lost so much of it. I've lost that ability to communicate in it a little bit. And it's what I call skill fade. And it's the same in anything, really. You know, you have that initial training. But what happens afterwards, if you don't use it, you lose it. So how do we monitor that? For, for someone that's doing it every day after the training, they're going to be more competent than somebody that's done the training. And then whatever situation they've been on site, for example, they've had no need to use that, that, that technology or that, that equipment. And how do we monitor that? So, so linking that back into what we talked about with the data download, the really good thing from our point of view is that we can, we can download the equipment. We can see that usage. How often have they been using it? Are they using it the way they've been taught to in a really positive way? And, and that's the other thing with digital tools, I guess, which I know we've had a conversation before is, I'm all for it and they're fantastic, but we have to use them in the right way. And a lot of people assume that, especially when we come to data download, it's a tool to beat somebody up if they don't use it correctly, as, as, um, as Andy touched on before. But what we should be doing is looking at that usage. And if, if there's certain things dropping or not quite right, we can have an intervention and we can, and, we can, so, and we can monitor that. So in terms of training, from my point of view, that side of it is fantastic because we can start getting some feedback between, between those sessions. Can you just explain what the, the data download is? What you know for somebody who's just used a norm, using a normal Jenny and Cat, what what does it mean, and you know what does it do? So um, there's a, there's a lot to it, which I won't go into massive detail about. But essentially, with with a cat, we have three basic modes. There's four, but let's just call, talk about three. We have power and radio, which is using the cat on its own, and we then have Jenny mode, which is what we use with, with a signal transmitter. One of the massive drives in the industry is to increase Jenny usage. There was a manufacturer's report done um, recently where they explained that 70%, I think it was, of utilities would not have been detected if we hadn't used a Jenny. 
So, so naturally, we're trying to get people using the Jenny more. And it's been a constant battle, but we're getting there. So when we deliver the training, we, we teach people how to use the Jenny and encourage them to use it more. And what sometimes, and we see this as well, people will do the day's course and you'll look at the data for a few weeks afterwards and you'll see the Jenny usage very, very high. And then what you might see in a couple of months' time is it starts to drop again. So my question is, why is it dropping? You know, you know, there's something's happened there. Why he's as he lost confidence in it, as, as he maybe gone back to old habits. You know, so it's that kind of thing we can look at. So that's the main things we can see, is how long in each mode has he used it for. You know, is he using it enough? For example, in 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 Jenny mode, is he using it for long enough? You know, I've seen people where they've done an excavation and they've only used it for 45 seconds. Is that enough? Why? And one example. That, that, that I um, often share with people is um, there was a recent incident where there was a cable strike. And when they download the data, we realized the data had actually been faked. So the, the operator had deliberately kind of sellotaped up the on button, if you like, and left it. Um, and what I always found interesting about this story is that the, the, the company involved that were all for punishing him. Why has he done this? Why has he kind of faked his data and everything else? And I said, let's just take a step back and think about why you felt he need to do that. There's obviously something else underlying there why you would feel the need to do that. So I hope that makes sense. But in using a proactive and positive way of getting to problems that people are having on site, is he, is he under too much pressure? Is he getting enough time to actually conduct the tasks that he's, that he's been given and things? So, so yeah, we can get a lot from the, from, from the data of the cat and, and use it in that in that productive way, we do a lot of on-site coaching. And as Andy mentioned before, we'll often go out to do some site visits. And the problem is, going back to years ago, you'd go and do a site visit and you'd literally assess them on the spot. A bit like having your car MOT'd. You know, is it, is it, what is the situation today? And of course, because you're observing them, they do it right. You know, you're watching them and making notes on it. So what we do when we get to a site visit is we download the data for the previous month when I wasn't watching them, you know, and how does that compare to what I'm, what, to what I'm seeing now, you know? So it's been a great tool for us in terms of that gap of three years be between that, that refresher period, if, if that makes sense. Um, the other thing I was going to touch on um, was um, LS Bud with, with, from Richard as well, and what an impact that has made, not just on the industry, but from a training point of view. I'm going to end up sounding like a salesperson for LS Bud here, but trust me, I'm not linked and I'm not on any commission. But you mentioned it yourself as well, Saffron. We've, if I go back 10 years ago, we delivered this training. We'd, we'd come to a site to, to teach people. And we'd say to the client before we got there, can you get us the utility plans? Because I'm a massive believer in combining that existing information with the technologies that we're using and putting that, that all in together. So what I want to do in a training course is get the utility plans for that street take people out there and relate it all together and teach people how to find it based off the plans. So we'd, we'd email the client and say, can you get the plans for the practical area? Nine times out of 10, they wouldn't. So we turn up at that site with no utility plans. And as you said, if you wanted to get them, you'd have to write off and wait four weeks and everything else. And what we used to do a lot of the time was use generic ones. We'd pull up old ones for different sites teaching them to read them, but not how to apply it to that site they were on, which I think is so massively important. And now what we do, since our LS board, is we can literally turn up on the day with a classroom of people. We can open up Google Maps, try and find a street where there's loads of utilities, go onto LS board, draw a little circle where we are, and five minutes later, I've got the plans. So, so in terms of training, it's been... I can't stress it enough what a massive benefit it's been for us to bring that into the training course um, and the and the ops on the course get get benefit from that as well. And uh, the other thing that um, um, I'm not sure if Richard mentioned or not, one of the problems that we used to have is who does have assets in that area? You know, you would go to the council and get a, that's why it was called a statutory undertakers list. You know, you'd want a list of people that put there. So one of the other things that LS Bud does is even if the asset owner isn't linked to the system in terms of you being able to get the plans, it gives you a, I think it's the green, red, and yellow list. So you get a full list of asset owners that could have assets in that area. These are the list of plans available through LS Bud. These are the ones that you need to probably contact direct. And these are the ones that aren't. And, and even that, to me, is, is a huge benefit of, of, of getting all that information quickly. You know, the speed of it is, it is fantastic. So that's been a huge benefit, not just to the industry, 
but from a training provider's point of view and and linking that to real on-site training and, and using the kit. So yeah, the data, the the um, LS Bud side of it with the, with the digital plans and things has, has all been great. Um, and yeah, I think that's I think that's it. That's brilliant, Pete. So I think you know it's from, from it seems like. It's the, the skills of the training can change the way that people work. And the, if you combine that with the digital tools, which is what Bar Hill have done, you can get a 35% reduction. At, you know, I'm not saying everyone can get that, but that's what, you know, one company's achieved. Now, I think as a construction industry, we're, we're always striving for marginal gains. Like, you know, let's try and reduce the number of accidents by a few percent each year or try and increase our profits by a few percent. But when you can get jumps like that and you look at how you get those jumps and it's by it's with the, the right training and the right skills and the right tools, it just, you know, it just seems like a no-brainer really to, you know, if people are having a, a challenge with that, um, you know, the, again, and I'll say, like I said about Phil and Richard, that it, they don't have to do it on their own. They can ring you and they say, right, Pete, how do we address this problem? And you'll say, right, let, let's get this sorted. And because the people are there to, to help with this for anybody who, you know, is serious about making this change. Yeah, it is. And it, and it all links into one of the comments uh, Richard mentioned before about measuring things. What, one of the interesting things we had last year, as I mentioned before, the strive is to increase Jenny usage, et cetera. One of the um, companies that we work with, they downloaded all the data from the cats before they had the training. Then they had the training. And then four weeks later, they downloaded the information again and just saw this night and day difference in how they were using it. So that enabled them to measure it. And because often, you know, we get we send people on these training courses, but uh, have they worked? Have they made a difference, you know? And how do we measure that? We can very simply measure it by just strike rate, I guess. But so it comes back to Richard's point before about, you know, um, reporting data. What was the cause of the strike? But if we can measure things a bit more individually and say, well, actually, we know we've increased his competence in this kit, but we are still having strikes, is it something else then? You, you see? So I think that measuring part of it and the cat data is really linked together um especially when it comes to monitoring things like training yeah yeah no that's brilliant thanks very much indeed for that pete that's been brilliant um so finally um bobby hiya how are you hi saffron i'm good thank you so since you were last with us a few weeks ago bobby you've now been promoted to section engineer at bar hill so congratulations on that thank you <laughs> So one of the most important roles of a section engineer working in the utility sector, sector is being appointed as the underground services coordinator for a project. So, so can you describe what this role typically involves and why it's so important? What training and skills are required? You know, what is now becoming possible with the digital and will it make the underground services coordinator role easier? And, you know, perhaps you could give us a couple of examples of, of how and why this might be. Yep. So first of all, I'll just talk a little bit around what the role is and how they're appointed. So really a service coordinator, Barhale appoints one for each project that they have throughout the business. And they take responsibility for ensuring that all excavation operations are carried out in accordance with company procedures, but also HSG 47 as well. So the main thing that we do is we review all the information that's provided on the utility infrastructure within the project. So that could be drawings, previous trial hall records, site investigations that's been undertaken perhaps by the client or designer. Um, and we'll really collate all of that information to get an image of what we're going to be dealing with on site and how that's going to interact with what we are constructing um, we're also responsible for undertaking the initial service detection sweep with the Cat and Jenny on site as well. And then we are responsible for producing any safe system of work documentation on the back of that, i.e. RAMs um, if they need tweaked, but also the permit to break ground as well. 
the main important part around that as well is not only our own understanding, but communicating all of that information to the permit acceptor and also the site personnel that are involved in the excavation activities, um, really to avoid um, any sort of damage to utilities. That's one of the fundamental parts from my perspective. Um, so... We're also um, responsible for identifying competent permit acceptors. So that'll be reviewing the competencies that they have in terms of the training, which to be a permit acceptor within Bar Hill, you need triple STS and a two-day Bar Hill specific service avoidance course. Um, but also really ensuring that that permit acceptor is going to be present throughout the whole excavation activity as well. And they're not just assigned that role because they have the qualifications. To be a service coordinator, you need SMSTS and also the 2D Bar Hill specific um, service detection course as well. We're also responsible, as Andy touched on earlier, um, for providing some of the data to the health and safety team from the CAP Manager app. So we're responsible for downloading all the data and having a high level overview of that. Sometimes a service coordinator can be split between two sites um, if there's not an engineering requirement or a foreman requirement, for example, um, on a project full time. So having access to that app really ensures that the cat and Jenny is being utilised exactly as it should be as per the permit if you're not present. So that's also quite useful. Um, in terms of your other question and what's becoming available with digital tools um, and does that make the role easier? So there's an abundance of best practice in terms of the digital tools, but from my own short experience within the industry, I'd say ones that have benefited me and my role is the ground penetrating radar system, so the GPR. In projects that have actually had this done before we arrive, um, it's certainly made the service detection process much more informed and accurate when we get to site. And certainly, you know, I feel a lot more confident with what's going on under the ground before we begin digging, whether that be the trial hole process or the main excavation. Um, trial holes as well, just touching on trial holes there. So, you know, having an engineer on site who's able to survey what has been discovered in a trial hole is absolutely valuable because then we can come away as an engineer, draw up what we found in AutoCAD, see how that impacts on the design, and we can try and eliminate the hazard at the earliest opportunity with a redesign or get the isolations or the diversions in place at the earliest opportunity. If there wasn't an engineer on site, you know, and we didn't have access to that surveying and we couldn't map up, then it would become a lot more challenging. So from an engineering perspective, there's certainly two of the big benefits that I've found um, in terms of technology. Um, so I think, yeah, if there's any questions. Um, no, that's brilliant, Bobby. Um, so what was I going to say there about the, the GPR? So it sounds like, you know, that's a bit, that's the equivalent of, do, you know, investing in the ground investigation and having, so it, it, you might, it might be a bit more upfront, a bit more time and planning upfront, but it allows you to plan the job and it allows you to, um, you know, look, not look into the future, but like you say, to, to, to prepare for those things and avoid put, put things in, in in advance to avoid them rather than just coming across them at the time and then having to you know send off a design to the you know a design change proposal to the designer wait for them to get back you know you could you can be doing all that right at the beginning instead of waiting until it happens yeah well no that's that's been absolutely brilliant everyone so is there was there any questions from the in the chat i don't think there was yeah we had one oh, saffron okay um, right do you want to to go for it then gail you can read that out yeah so um phil i don't know maybe if this is maybe one for you it's, it's from kurt um so kurt's asking does anyone on the panel use 3d modeling uh, for surveying if so what do you feel about uh, the importance of visualising 3D and accurate true 3D on a 3D stereo monitor, specifically Pluriview 3D stereo monitor? Uh, not specific, but generally if uh, 
the 3D model is generated, it's um, really handy to be able to visualize it uh, in any form of uh, 3D visualization, as we mentioned. Uh, could would that be a stereoscopic um, monitor or uh, an AR device or an AR headset or any um, combination of uh, phones uh, with using the benefits of their highly advanced processors and cameras nowadays can definitely benefit someone in the design process in the analysis process in pretty much every step of the way. So thanks very much to everyone who's come on the panel. I think this is going to be another brilliant podcast that will be really useful. Um, and again, to anyone who's listening or watching, if you want any help or advice from any of the, the, the people on the panel, I'm volunteering them <laughs> to, to answer your questions. Or obviously you can get in touch with us at um, Digital Construction Skills. So brilliant, everybody. Thanks very much. Let's catch Thank up you with you all soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.